last week I started a series and I, it's titled Anchored and it's about being anchored in, in Christ, understanding that we have a purpose and a mission and a goal in life. And sometimes the reason I think our life struggles so much is because we forget that there's a reason that we exist. And so we go day to day trying to fill the emptiness with something. And we can never really fill that emptiness because it doesn't really align with our purpose for existing. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. It says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. What that's saying is where there's no vision, where there's nothing, not a bigger picture for you, for your life, People don't have anything. The restraint is that anchor, that anchor that we are anchored in God. Again, I tried to explain last week, anchors are not to hold us back. They're to hold on to us through the storm. It's not to keep you from achieving everything. It's to help you fully fulfill the purpose and the mission of your life. And then it says, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, law is not simply a list of rules. But the law is what we put upon ourselves in the sense of discipline. Some people are more self-disciplined than others. I have a friend who hasn't had carbs in like 16 years. I'm like, what is is your purpose in life each day? (laughs) I'm not saying my sole purpose is to eat carbs, but it certainly brings me joy to my life. (laughs) And they started on an Atkins diet It was in 2003, so sometime this year will be their 17th year, and they're still following it. I pointed out that Atkins himself is not even following it anymore. They say it's not fair because he died, but I'm like, yes, yes, he did. And I know that he actually slipped and hit his head, but it was probably because he was faint from lack of carbs. We don't know. We'll never know for sure. But it's about that self-discipline. That's what it's talking about when it says the law. Without a vision, people perish. If you don't understand that you have a purpose, that you individually are called to something greater than what you can imagine, because this is the calling that God has put upon you, which means it's going to be greater. If you don't understand that there's something more to your life than just getting up, going to work, coming home, working out for a few minutes, watching TV, going to bed, and repeating the process, hoping for the weekend, and looking forward to retirement. If you don't understand that, then it's all going to seem empty and meaningless and lost. If you think you are beyond or above that, then you're right. You are, because there's something greater for you. People need a purpose. People need to understand that there is something for the future. So without purpose, here's just a few of the things we struggle with. Without purpose, people will always fear commitment because commitment will tie you down to something. I talked about this briefly last week just in in relationships. People don't want commitment. In social obligations, if people don't want to commit, if nothing better comes along, then I'll show up for your event. People don't want to sign up because that means I have to do something. And it's not that people are afraid to do something. I have people all the time that will like show up here just to volunteer to work. We got a new... You know, new signboards put in this week. Somebody comes and blows off. We got all new exit signs at our other facility because somebody just said, oh, I'll give time to do that. 
So people will do stuff. I've learned it's not that people will do stuff. It's that if I ask for a commitment to something, then people start backing off because they fear what that's going to hold them to. I've talked before about church membership. I don't ever even ask people to become members of the church. I really don't. Because I learned about 20 years ago, membership was on this sharp, sharp, sharp decline, and yet weekend attendance had only dropped about 7%, but church membership had dropped almost 70%. And that trend has continued. Church attendance has gone down incrementally slower. Membership is at basically the lowest point in our history for percentage of people that actually attend church. Why? Because people don't want to commit to something. That might require something of them. When people ask me, well, what does it mean to become a member of your church? I'm like, you know, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) What I think it means is that we're all doing this together, and I'm committed to doing this with you. That's how I see it. That's how I view membership. But at the same time, I view, if there's people that are members, there's a certain obligation I have to them. We, once in a while, we'll get a call here at the church, and they'll say, uh, what's the cost to do weddings at your church? And I'm like, I don't know how much money you got, you know? Throw out a number. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we can negotiate. And then they'll say, well, is there a discount for members? I'm like, I have never heard your name before in my life. You are not a member here. I always say, come and check it out before you do anything. The only time I'll be here is Sunday mornings. Um, I don't really, but I think it in my mind. People are fear commitment because they don't have a vision. But when you have a purpose, when you have a vision, then you go, I can buy into that. There's, you don't join everything. You don't need to join everything because if it doesn't align with what God has called you to, you don't need to be a part of it. But when I say this is what God has called me to, then I have to be a part of something. I have to commit to things. And that's hard because that goes against our society. It goes against our very ingrained nature anymore to commit to something. We live in a disposable society and in a disposable world because we don't want to have the commitment of things. Without purpose, the second thing I've discovered is it's way easier to give up. If I'm training for a marathon, or in my case, a 5K, but if I'm training for something, it's easy for me to get out there and remind myself, okay, I have to do this today. Each fall, in about August, I look and I go, okay, I've gained too much weight. And because I look at everything in terms of school years, I think I've got to lose weight. And so I start towards the middle to the end of August. I'm done with my summer trips, and I start losing weight. And I lose about 10% of my body weight. And then over the course of the next eight to nine months, because it takes me three to four months, I gain back 10% of my body weight because I stop caring. When I have that daily thing, like, I got to do it, I eat less, I exercise more, I get up every day, I get myself moving. I'm really good because there's something that I'm working towards, a goal. Without purpose, without a vision, without a goal, it's so easy to give up. Jeremiah 12.5 tells us this. I read this last week. It's not a mistake. I'm reading it again. I'm doing it on purpose. But if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which they trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? In other words, if you can't get up and do it when things are easy, how are you going to do it? How am I going to get up and go when it's raining? How am I going to get up and go when it's snowing? How am I going to get up and go when I'm tired and I'm overwhelmed? 
and work is really busy and the kids have been sick and I'm in a fight with my boyfriend and I've got this struggle to figure this out and my landlord's raising me. How am I going to make it spiritually? How am I going to fulfill my vision that he's called me to if I can't just on a day-to-day basis do what I need to do when things really get tough? If when things are easy, I'm not willing to do it, there's no chance I'm going to do it when things get difficult. The third thing is without vision, without purpose, we feel lost and wander. In other words, we allow boredom and complacency to come in because I forget who I am and what I've been called to do. But when I remember who I am and what I've been called to do and there's something greater, then I don't get bored and I don't become complacent. That complacency means I'm satisfied just with how things are. The status quo is fine. Status quo is fine in my relationships. Status quo is fine in my job. Status quo is fine in my exercise. The status quo is fine in whatever other areas of my life. Spiritually, while I show up for church once in a while, I throw something in the offering, I'm good. And it's not because we no longer love God. It's because we've gotten bored with the process and we become complacent because we forget I have a greater purpose to my life than simply showing up once in a while. I have a greater purpose to my life than simply, well, I checked off a box. I've been called to something greater. And when I live within that calling of something greater, when I realize, oh yeah, me, Jeff, I have a purpose. And my purpose is this and this and this. And the struggle is sometimes I forget what that purpose is. Next week we're going to talk a little bit more about finding our purpose but I get bored and I get complacent and I begin to wander. Fourth thing is without purpose, there's no understanding of why I should change. So I give in to whatever it is that brings me immediate happiness. In my case, most of the times, it's carbs. I really do like cake and pie. And so I'm doing great on my diet and then all of a sudden, you know, Bread goes by, and I go, ooh, bread. Please take the bread today, even if you're, you know, on Atkins. But I, I give up because I don't want to abstain. I want the temporary fill, the temporary happiness. And that's different things for different people. For some people, it, it's really something addictive. For some people, it's looking for that instant, immediate, take away my pain right now. And we find a substance that we can use to do that. It's that lack of discipline in our lives that's consistent. We do it for a short time, but we won't carry it out. It's a refusal to do the difficult things it takes to genuinely make change happen. Sometimes people say, well, do you really believe people can change? Absolutely, I do. But I think it takes time and discipline. People want to say they've changed and have instantaneous, but we aren't an instant world. You can't microwave your bad habits and have them gone. It's time and consistency. And so if I don't understand and I don't feel like I have a a vision, then why give these things up that bring me this instantaneous happiness? Why give up the things that take away my boredom or my pain or my whatever? So like I said, next week we are going to talk a little bit more about purpose. But what I want to first help you realize is this. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us this, But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is your purpose? Well, if you are chosen and you are holy and you are royal, if you are special and you've been done all of these things to proclaim the praises of him, then I think that defines it. Now, it's going to look different in your setting. It is. It's going to look different in your setting, and it's going to look different in mine. See, part of it is my occupation is to proclaim who Jesus is. And that's not necessarily your occupation. However, in some ways, I've got it easier because it's a calling for all believers. So wherever you are, whatever your occupation is, your calling, your purpose is to show the world the reality of who Jesus is. And that looks different, and it's done differently by you. It's done differently by you than it is by me. And every day, some of us are just fighting a battle just to get through the day. And I understand that, and I respect that. At the same time, we have this greater calling, this greater thing that he's given us. We have a greater purpose than just the day-to-day existence. To proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a beautiful picture. I was uh, about 12 or 13 years old and we went to these caves. Anybody ever been to a cave where you actually get to go in? And we had these little headlamps. It was the first time I ever remember wearing a headlamp. And we'd go and we'd crawl And we go into this one cave, and you literally, even as a 12-year-old kid, you're kind of shimmying and pulling yourself along the wall, and it's total darkness, except for your little headlamp. And you can see, and then we all get in this one big cave at once, and they have us all turn off our headlamps. And it's the darkest dark I've ever experienced, the type of place I want to sleep each night. That's how dark it was. It was glorious. And then we turn our lights back on. And then they have us look up at the ceiling. We see all the bats, and it's supposed to scare you. It was pretty exciting, though, as a 12 or 13-year-old kid. But we go into this, and we turn on our lights again, and we look around, and you see the cave, and then everybody crawls back out. And when you crawl back out, even though you've had this little light on, you crawl out, and your eyes just automatically go into a squint. And you hard to see. Your eyes get watery because you've gone out of this darkness, this full and total darkness, into this light. And it's not just this little thing. It's this glorious light. And when you experience it, it literally makes your eyes water. It literally changes your very body chemistry. Whatever it is that makes you cry, you're suddenly doing it. We've been called into that kind of light. You've lived in the darkness of this cave where you didn't even have the little headlamp to guide you and show you. It's been that kind of darkness. Now we're in the glorious light. Yes, we should be a different person. I believe it's a journey, and I believe it's a process, but I believe we have to be making steps forward on that process. You can't say you're going to go on a hike, get out of the car, and stand there and just stare at the trail, and then 45 minutes later get back in the car and say you went on a hike. But I showed up. Yeah, I I guess you showed up. You have to do something. And I've I've told you before, our Christian walk, 
is not about doing, it's about being, but it's about being and becoming who God wants us to be. He has so much greater for you than we ever accept, and we put up with the status quo and the little bit because, well, it's all I have to give. And I'm telling you, stop worrying about what you have and what you are. Let's look at who you can become and who you are becoming when we're consistently following God and allowing His spiritual discipline to take place in our life. When we're allowing Him to work in us and through us and to change us and to mold us into His likeness. And yes, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. So how do I live this out in life? Some of you know I hate the... Here's the three easy steps. I'm going to talk about that again in a minute. But here's some of the ways I can live this out. Once I understand my purpose, which next week we're going to talk more about that, but how do I live this out? By daily preparing spiritually. So what does that look like? Here it is. It's this simple. Put in the effort to know God. Put in the effort to know God. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Spiritual discipline is about pressing yourself towards a deeper understanding of who God is. I don't just want people that know about God. I want people that know God. Because when we know God, that shapes us. When we know about him, that informs us. And yeah, it's true. Some, you have to know about God in order to determine whether or not you want to change. But to know God, it gets deep within our soul. It gets deep within us. Another way we put this in practice is we can't look for drastic changes, but we have to look for experiment, I'm sorry, for incremental growth points. In other words, some people say, well, how much of the Bible should I read? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not you. I'm a slow reader. Some people say, you know, it only takes 80 hours to read the entire Bible. I'm like, wow. I don't know what world you live in. I've read through the Bible. I've done it in a year. I'll tell you this, it was a whole lot more than 80 hours. I think what's important is not the how much, but the am I doing it and am I engaging with what I read? Am I doing the things that it takes to really know God? Another question I often ask myself when I'm trying to instill any kind of discipline in my life is, what are my desired outcomes? Because if I, if I can't clearly state what I'm hoping to learn or go, grow or achieve through this process, it's really hard to know if I've ever gotten there. If you've ever lost weight, one of the things they tell you to do is set a realistic weight loss goal. Now, if you want to go, wow, I can't believe I lost the first 20 pounds so easily, I need to lose 10 more, that's great. But if you go, I'm just going to lose some weight, when do you start? How do you do it? When do you stop? I'm going to exercise. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to exercise four days a week for 30 minutes a day. Okay, now you've got a goal. Now you make a chart. Now you keep progress. You don't get angry at yourself if you miss a day. You just get back on it the next day. If we don't, see, it's hard because it's spiritual growth, but if we don't have some things that we'd like to see, something definable, how do we know if we're really moving forward? And like I said, I'm not big on the easy steps to be a better Christian. Just do these three things and you'll know because 
we can't rely on absolutes in a broken world. The only absolute we have in this world is the consistency of who God is. And it tells us in Scripture that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so we know he's consistent. But the rest of the world, everything else, is a bunch of moving parts and moving targets. And, but if we have some definable things, then my expectation, my long-term outcome, is to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And I'm going to get there when I have some definable things. But see, you have to define those for yourself. I can't say, you need to read this much. You need to show up for prayer this many times. You need to be at church this many Sundays. I can't define that for you. Because then it's just you living up to the law or the standard or the rule instead of you living in who you are in Christ and the freedom that that brings. But with that freedom comes opportunity to grow and become and learn and develop. So, what are the spiritual disciplines you need to add to your life? I made a list of ones that I currently practice, some better than others, but these are the ones I currently practice. I read scripture, I spend time in prayer, I spend time in actual studying the Bible so I can learn it. Fasting, that's really occasional. I go through, I go through periods where I'm like really good at fasting, and then I go through long periods where I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not doing that one anymore. Accountability, same thing. I have a, a great accountability partner. He sent me a book this week, and I was so excited. I thought it was going to be some spiritual discipline. It's on leadership. He's like, learn to lead better. I was like, all right. Accountability, commitment to something greater than myself. And my, in, I'm going to use this as an example. My commitment to is I am committed to this church. I don't know that I will be forever because I doubt I'll be here forever. I am mortal. I may get fired. We may go through a bad coronavirus episode and stop having church. I don't know. But I am committed to this. And my way I show commitment is I show up. And I show up expecting, and I show up ready to give of who I am so that I can engage with others. And then finally, participation. My problem is there's no participation trophies. But participation is still a valid growth measure. Am I giving to this place not because, oh, if I give this many times, Jeff's going to like me more. God's going to see me and be happy with me. No. Participation is about engaging in what we do for the greater of good of other people. Whether it's coming to a party that we host or an event when we invite the community or whatever. When I participate in things here, it's not about, oh, I'm better, I'm liked, I'm this. It's about saying, it's not about me, but it's about somebody else. So, those are just a few of the spiritual disciplines that I practice. Yours might look different. You may have others that I'm not doing. I know people that meditate. That's great. I spent some time doing that. I just kept finding myself just wandering mentally. I would be good for about 30 seconds to a minute, and then I'd start thinking about everything in the world that I could be doing with that time. I realized that doesn't work for me. For other people, it works great. There's all kinds of other spiritual disciplines you can put into your life. These are the practices and principles that I've put in that have helped me and shaped me and helped me become who God is shaping me to be.
so the question I do ask myself all the time is not can I do more, but what does he want me to be doing that I'm not doing? Because if I take on something else, I may have to lose some of these. But that doesn't mean that for a season I'm not going to take on something else. I may participate in pre-service prayer for six months, but then I may find that, oh, I want to participate in ushering and greeting. And those two are in direct conflict because it's at the exact same time. That's just the truth. You may participate in a Bible study on Tuesday nights, but then something happens and your life changes and you can no longer do Tuesday nights. That's okay. You're not in trouble for no longer going to that Bible study. But what are you going to replace it with to have something else? And I, most things we do here, whether it's a class or a home group or whatever, I go, we do it for a season. We do it for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 6 weeks. And then we stop. But then if you look, maybe a month or two months later, oh, look, there's something just like what I just went through. And we start up again. Why? Because I don't expect somebody to be committed to the same thing for the next 50 years of their life. I want them to be committed to something that helps them grow. And then some people will jump right back in and do the same thing again. That's great. I welcome that. And other people are looking and saying, no, I want to learn something different or something new. Here's the thing. Here's the common thing. Participate in something. Be a part of something. So what do you need to add in order to see growth in your spiritual life? What is it for you? Maybe you've got a lot of baggage that you need to deal with. Maybe you just need some counseling for a while. I've got a couple of counselors I can highly recommend to help you deal with some of the stuff you're going through, some of the past trauma or pain or hurt, so that you can be open to what God has for you. I don't know, but what would you add to your life? Next week, we're doing Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, talking about our greater purpose, how to discover that and how to really dig into that in light of what they they say in Scripture. That's what I want you to understand, that you have a purpose individually. I believe we corporately have a purpose as a body, but you individually have a purpose, and you have a part. And I want you to see that and see that fulfilled in you. Father God, I thank you for our congregation, and I thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. God, I pray that you would just help us to see and know you more. Help us to understand the purpose that you have for us, that it's greater than what I even see for myself. Help that become more real in us. God, I just pray that we would be pressed forward toward that calling you have for us so that we can walk in that, so that we can relish that, so that we can live in that. In your name, amen. Today I'm doing communion a little bit different. I don't know how many months I'll do this differently. I, I just don't know. Organic antibacterial spray. That's how committed I am to you. We're going to invite you in just a moment to come up. We'll be serving you a piece of, of the bread and a tiny cup of juice. You can just take it back to your seat. One of the things I tell people every month is this is representative. This is the body of Jesus. This represents his blood. And it's not simply ritual or habit. 
Because we talked, should we just postpone doing this for a while? Should we? And I said, I so value it. It's that moment where he says, everybody come to me. He sits at the Last Supper and he sits with a guy who's going to deny him, a guy who's going to betray him, a guy who's going to doubt him. He washes their feet and he invites them to eat with him. It's not just a metaphor. It's not just, oh, what a good picture. It's the reality. And he looks at you and he says, I invite you in your sinful state, in your imperfect place, to come and take and do this so that you know there's something greater than you that exists. You are not the center of the universe. There's something greater than you that exists. And I invite you today to set aside all your preconceived ideas and notions, all the stuff that good or bad that along the way you've associated with this, like the I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough because I'm not perfect. You never will be. But you're invited to come and to take. I'm just going to hand you a piece of bread, hand you a cup, just take it back to your seat. Take it whenever you're ready. You can take it right here. You can take it as you sit down. But everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited because God's looking at you and saying, I want a relationship with you. You are a sinner in need of a relationship, and I want that relationship with you. And so I just invite you to come and take today. Um, Tracy's going to take gluten-free. If you, for any reason, cannot come forward, whether that's spiritual, physical, emotional, you just go, Jeff, I can't do it. I, I can't walk up there. I can't be up there. Whatever. Just raise your hand. She's going to come, and she has the gluten-free. And then after that, we'll have the gluten-free in the middle section here. So if you need to be gluten-free, we'll have that in the middle section. And Mike will take that when she comes back up. But if that's you and you need someone to serve you at your seat, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. I don't keep track. We don't, like, write it down later who wouldn't come forward. We just say everybody's invited. So if you need that, go ahead. Tracy will come and serve you. Otherwise, we'll have three serving lines right here. go ahead and we'll be served at this time.
Like, even as I was thinking, how am I going to do this? I don't want to change. I, I like the way I do it. I like serving people. And I know there's people who go, what if the church grows? I'm like, then I'll get six people up here serving. I don't, there's nothing that stops us from, you know, and yet at the same time, I can't let it just be ritual because that's how I do it. There's something significant about this. There's something that, says this matters and this means something that I need something greater than me in order to have a reason to exist because otherwise my world can become Jeff centric really fast it can become so me centric that it becomes so much about what I want right now that it no longer is about him. And you guys, this is my reminder. This isn't about me. None of this life is about me. This life 
My purpose is something greater than what I do or accomplish or how much money I make or how much money I lost this week. It can't be about that. It has to be about I exist because I've come out of darkness into the marvelous light and I need to let other people know that. And I need to walk into that light and have tears in my eyes more often. Because that, my friends, that gives me hope. That gives me purpose. Just the day-to-day-to-day-to-day doing my job, even if I'm doing the best job in the world, doesn't give me purpose. Other people will pat me on the back and say, good job. But it's not purpose. It's not meaning. It's adoration from others. I need purpose because it can't just be about one more day and one more dollar and one more something Jeff accomplishes. It has to be about others seeing the marvelous light because I'm consistent with the purpose that he's given me. And that's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for you to experience and to know and to see I want you to fall in love with Jesus so much that you can't be the same. God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for gathering place. God, for those who are sick today, I pray that you would be with them. For those who can't be here for a variety of other reasons, I pray that they would feel your comfort. God, for those who are walking even in fear today, maybe it's caution. God, I pray that you would be a presence with them where they're at. God, that we do come against any disease that would come against us. God, any disease that would threaten to harm us, we come against that knowing, Father God, that you have a greater plan for us. God, I thank you for who you are, for what you're doing in this congregation, for what you're doing in this community around us. God, we celebrate and we are excited to see that. May we know you more. May we see you more. May we find more purpose in our lives and may we reflect all that you are onto others around us. In your name, amen. Thank you. Have a great week. I'll see you all next week.